The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to The Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome, everyone. And it's always, um, I'm always so excited to have the opportunity to be with you on this show and knowing uh, that you're always in for a treat of who we're speaking with, our various guests that offer different practical tools in order that we continue to be an intentional spirit. And it's part of our lives that we do not allow the externals to to govern our choices or whether or not we remain goal-oriented. We don't get hooked in perfectionism because that keeps us from starting um, our different projects or things from our heart. So I'm very happy today that we have Frank Co-Peters with us. That's Frank Co-Peters. He has the Living Light Center. He has so much to offer us. And Frank, welcome to our show today. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, thank you very much, Temple. I'm very happy to be here. I was uh, reading all about your work and everything. It's incredibly impressive. And I thought it would be helpful to give our listeners um, some idea of how you, we tend to attract a lot of people that are wanting to fulfill more of their life purpose more. And I think it's important to give them stories. Example, you, how did, how did a nice guy like you get in a place like this? I mean, what, what has been part of, <laughs> what part of your life has, has brought you to what you're focusing on now and what you give your energy and dedicate your life to? Okay, that's a great question. Uh, and my book, of course, is quite a bit about that. Um, I think for some reason, from very, very early on, there was a sense in me that there was something larger. And of course, I had no words for that. But it kept haunting me more and more. And there was a, a few definitive moments. You know, I write in my book about a near-death experience at four there was the remarkable initiation I received in the Catholic Church when I was 12, when I was confirmed. And then the big event really, I think, was when I started meditating at the age of 22. That It was transcendental meditation. That was a huge shift. I was propelled into a different kind of vibrancy, and it was like, okay, here I can live. Not that my life had been hard necessarily but i felt something was escaping me like my true my true vocation my true mission and then as soon as i started to meditate many events would happen mostly step by step actually and i was very lucky i at an early age i was invited to become an assistant professor at a new graduate program at the university of antwerp in belgium where i'm from and it was an experimental, uh, for Belgium, an experimental program where anybody in the department was giving a lot of freedom to develop their own classes. And my interest at the time was theater. And I was able to invite remarkable people from all over the world, actually, to do workshops with my students. And I would participate in all of those and in many of those workshops, I had moments of awakening, mostly when we were doing voice work or improvisational theater, because with improvisational theater, you have to be very much in the moment. And so I remember so many moments when all of a sudden I was not in my head, but I was in my body, and there was something spontaneous coming out of me. And I was not in my usual fear-ridden state, Again, you know, I was not a particularly anxious person, but still, there was quite a bit of baggage there. So, um, 
maybe to make a long story short, the main thing that started to happen was some remarkable teachers that happened in my, that entered in my life. And so the most important one for certainly for my book and for my practice was a shamanic teacher and artist from Hungary. He he was born with a cow, which is a special way of birth that some of your listeners may be familiar with. And he was trained from the early age of four or five by the local shaman. And after the Second World War, because in the, in the World War he was put in labor camp by the Germans, and so he saw a lot of people around him uh, dying. And he didn't want to go back to Hungary for a number of reasons after the war, one it being a totalitarian regime, and also not very good for artists or shamans for that matter. So he looked for work and ended up in Belgium in the coal mines. At that time, the Belgians no longer wanted to work in the coal mines. And he signed a contract for five years to do that. And so at lunchtime, in, in the bowels of the earth, so to speak, he would have these remarkable shamanic vision, visions. So then at some point, he started sharing his knowledge and practice with people. And so one day, when I was teaching at the university, one of my students told me that there was a shaman coming to Antwerp. And I had no idea there was practicing shamans in Belgium. And I will never forget that moment, you know, when uh, Joschka is his name, Joschka Soch, when he started his vocalizations and his drumming, something happened to me. Uh, it was the hairs on my body stood up, you know, and and it was like, I, I know what this is, even though it was also very foreign to me. And so I took my courage together after his demonstration and asked if, if I could meet with him. And there was something almost demanding in the way that he looked at me and, and answered. He said, yes, you have to come to Brussels Wednesday evenings. Every evening I give sessions there. And so that's my how my apprenticeship with an amazing an amazing being started and the apprenticeship lasted about 30 years really um, and he passed away in 2008 but when I do my work even even now when I'm telling the story you know I still remember how that transmission from from Yoshka to me and of course to the other students that were with him is something that took root somehow and still keeps uh, developing and, and growing. Um, so that was a, a big, big part, being with Yoshka. And then when I immigrated to the U.S., that was an, another instrumental moment. The evening before I immigrated, he initiated me. And he said, not just in his lineage, but he said in universal shamanism, and that was a, just a remarkable event and some synchronistic and uh, things happened right away. And so here I find myself talking to you and, and to the listeners uh, about shamanism because um, my biggest difficulty initially was that it was so obvious that my teacher was a shaman. I mean, he lived it. To me, it looked like he lived it every moment of every day. And in comparison, you know, I was a newbie. I was in my 20s when I met him. I didn't come from a shamanic culture. And so when I compared myself to my teacher, I always came up short. And I know that he, on the other hand, always seemed to know that I was going to find my life purpose, because that was kind of your original question, and that that life purpose would bring me to shamanism, and also that it was my destiny to also train some people in shamanism. So I still find it somewhat miraculous uh, when I look back on my life that, that all this took place and that here I am at 69, you know, uh, doing all this and, and being so excited about it and also seeing that the practice of shamanism and also of Reiki, which I practice, and I'm also a teacher of the Course in Miracles, that all this is reaching more and more people 
Because when I met my teacher, this was, very, at least in Belgium, this was so small. There was maybe 10 people at the most coming to his gatherings. And most of us kept this quiet because it was a bit suspect, you know, to be engaged in shamanistic practices at the time. And now most people, when you say shaman, at least they have some connotation or some experience with it. And I noticed, Temple, in, in your resume that you are a shamanic practitioner. So that mm-hmm. wasn't lost on me either. Um, so is this enough of an introduction? Or Oh, my goodness, yes. That? And is, we are living in, in very um, exciting times. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And a couple of uh, editions ago in People magazine, there was this huge article about a shaman and that he is in relationship with, I believe, Princess Martha from Norway. So uh-huh, it's, uh-huh. it's reaching uh, so many different levels and um, so many different ways, and it's immensely exciting. I mean, there's so much uh, with the indigenous people and the original tribes and the changing of Columbus Day to Indigenous People Day. I mean, it's just it's cyclical in our world of how how these things are dropping back in. And I love it. I just I find this to be such an amazing time to to be alive. And absolutely uh, just about uh, without being focused on myself, because I like to to be in the harmony of being in the now and really listening to someone else. But so much of what you were saying, it was like, mm-hmm, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, I know, uh-huh, I understand. <laughs> right, right. And, that's, and that's so much of, uh, you know, what it was. I mean, I remember my, um, my shaman teacher weeping because I uh, took the position of being a spiritual leader in a unity community. And she was terrified about that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, my gosh, you're going into something yeah. organized when the shaman path is, is not organization and being in a box. And yet mm-hmm. I did not let that culture change me. I shifted the culture. And here you are with the book, Unity and Everything That Is. <laughs> I love yeah, how, yeah, it, yeah. How, it, how it has that web and flow and that and that richness of life and you're you're so right with every experience we we draw from it in some form or another and i think that's the beautiful thing of the shamanic path is that it's it's going with the flow and um and allowing the work to unfold and it's just um pretty amazing so um and here you are continuing that lineage and now teaching people about warriorship uh, with 13 masters. I mean, how how powerful is that? For those of you that are just tuning in, I'm talking to Frank Co-Peters, who you can go to his website, livinglightcenter.com. He has a lot of different information, but we are also addressing today his uh, newest book. He has more than one, but his newest one is Unity and Everything That Is Enlightened Warriorship Under the Guidance of 13 Masters. How cool is that? So your teacher you. continues to live through everything you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When I when I pick up my drum, you know, he had uh, at birth, he had a little bit of a sunken shoulder. Uh, it was hard to see. And so he seems to come into my body almost, and there it is. Because, you know, I was just a little nervous about my first radio interview. So just before I came on the show, I picked up a shamanic drum that I travel with, and he's like right there. But then it's not not just him. It's the other realms, you know, the, the realms of light and love and the earth realm that immediately presents itself. So that shift between my very nice, as you say, I'm like a nice guy, you know, nice personality, but still the personality is not the, the total enchilada, right? There is much, much more. And so it is such a joy for me that through meditation or to picking up the drum or by giving a healing session that immediately I'm in a very different place, a beautiful place. 
And in that place, I feel so much hope for for humanity. I mean, humanity obviously is struggling right now as a species, and everybody seems to be aware of it. Certainly the young people are. And so that more and more people are open enough to explore for themselves the reality of their own experience, I think is extremely hopeful. So when you, you said that little bit about being hopeful for these exciting times, I am too. I had honestly never anticipated that I would be in touch with this emergence of a very, very different frequency on the planet. And it, it is planetary. It's not localized. Uh, I was in Bhutan in 2016, and this is amazing. I really had such a great time there. It's a, a fairly big country, relatively speaking. Uh, it's as big as Switzerland, but it's it's in between India, which, of course, is a continent, and China, which is so huge. And so the people there, um, they are very strongly steeped in their Buddhist practices. I visited some monasteries there. They also are very familiar with shamanism. They have this amazing shaman from the 8th century. His name is Patmasambhava. And he brought, he was a tantric master from India. And he brought shamanism, where actually he tried to purify the shamanic practices, the local shamanic practices, and combine them with the protection of Buddhism. And so you feel that shamanic spirit in every single temple and there is many, many of them in, in Bhutan. And at the same time, they have a very forward-looking government. It's a, So it's actually a kingdom, but about 10 years ago, it became a parliamentary democracy. So they have as their principle that every single decision in government, and it, it trickles down to like the post office, the banks, every single decision is taken from the perspective, will this benefit the happiness of our people? I mean, how cool is that? And while we were there, you can see how quickly the country is expanding in terms of, you know, everybody has a cell phone, pretty much. But at the same time, they have this policy that people should not leave the villages where they live because it's beautiful where they live. It's absolutely gorgeous. So they don't want people to lose the quality of their life, but they want to give them the quality of modern technology. So, you know, when I was there, it was just so hopeful to see that a little place like that, if, if it can happen in a little place like that, it can happen everywhere, of course. So, yeah, I feel, I feel very, very uh, exciting about these times. And also that is the, all the deep, the deep spiritual wisdom is being broadcast now, for instance, right now uh, in the radio show, but in so many, many ways. So for the young people, and of course for the older people as well, whoever is curious in a spiritual way or a deep religious way, they will be guided to the information they need to a teacher they need, to the book they want to read, to workshops. I mean, this truly was not available when I was a kid. I remember going in Belgium, you know, to the library, and I was interested in Dostoevsky, but I, I couldn't read it until I was 18. You know, there was all these rules. And so now everything really, on um, a very beautiful way, is totally available at our fingertips. So I find that astonishing. I, I had not dreamt in my wildest dreams that I would be part of this in my lifetime. And so in my classes, you know, there are people of various ages, but I also teach at the uh, massage school where I live in Portland, Oregon. So some of the students, you know, they are as young as 18, 19, 20. And they are so open, so available, and they don't come with a lot of judgment, really. They, and of course, Portland is a progressive kind of town. It's known for that. But still, to be in the presence of these young people with an open heart and who want to make a difference, it's, it's really, for me, so nourishing, you know, to see that this is truly happening. 
Because sometimes, of course, watching the news, we may get the impression that there is a lot of bad stuff happening, which certainly is the case. But there is also a lot of a lot of really good news that's not really reported, but that I get to be part of, and I'm sure you too, Temple, when you are in the, say, alternative circuit of people that are truly searching, you meet tons and tons and tons of people that are in a process of awakening. And I think that's a great promise for the planet. How many, the more people are having glimpses of a true reality that is based on love and compassion and connection to everything that is, I think that will be extremely beneficial for the healing of our current climate on the planet. Oh, I'm so with you. I've, I'm more excited about these times than ever before. Um, it, yes. It's like we're at such a, sometimes in my own mind, from a place of the soul perspective, I think of it like the gloaming. I mean, to me, that time when it's absolute light and absolute dark, you know, that yes. time of day that it's, it yeah. almost feels like everything is animated. You know, it's like yeah. it's such a wonderful time. Everything seems kind of magnified. The trees seem to have a different aura around them. And that's how I feel about these times. I feel like we are so heightened, you know, all around us. And it's just so exciting. And I I, I agree with you. I, I love that there's been... Um, uh, kind of a wall knocked down, uh, if you will, yeah, because, yeah. you know, so before it was as, as younger people like us, um, we were sages, we were in indigo, we were gifted children, mm-hmm. but our culture yeah. uh, said, you know, it's not your time yet, or what do you know, or you can't do that, or, you know, or we didn't have a means, I don't even know if it's, I don't mean it to sound like blaming, but we didn't have meetup and social and we couldn't right. get a microphone right. and be Facebook live, <laughs> you know, or any right. of that. That's right. um, and now, you know, it's these, um, the people that are being born into the times now are very outspoken at a 11 and 12 years old. And it's so rich and it's so beautiful. And it's, it's what we are, have been destined to be all along is to gather the wisdom from the, the, the youngest of the young and gather the wisdom from the elder of the elder. <laughs> and so the eldest Beautiful. of the elder, I guess one would say, and now here we are. And so it's, it's such a, a measurable time um, for things to get clear uh, for things yes. to be. I'm sure this is a favorite word to you also. And um, one of my favorite words and one of my check-in words is, Congruency. Congruency, sure. Congruency. Congruency. And that is such a huge, rich word. You know, what are we saying in front of the room? What is the book saying? You know, what did I just say in a quote? And how am I congruent with that now? You know, it's like, um, because there's things that take on the way of popularity, for example, there's a lot of spiritual centers or yoga centers or whatever, you know, that will say we are inclusive and we are diverse. What does that mean, really? <laughs> you know, does it mean that if I walk into your group, I'm going to see all the colors of the rainbow, all sexuality, all belief systems, or am I just going to see all white people over 50? Do you know what I mean? And what? You're right, 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 right. Right? What is diverse? And are you saying you believe in it, but you haven't practiced it yet? Or what does it mean? And um, and so that's a real important thing um, at this phase in, in, in my life is what am I representing and how congruent am I? And I am extremely excited to hear about your book and us delve into that. Um, when we come back with this short break. But I want to thank all of you for all the work that and the commitment that you've made as an intentional spirit. We have so much more for you when Frank and I come back in just a few minutes. Thank you for being with us.
We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome, everyone. Well, what a what a wonderful experience and what a great time I personally am having today as I'm talking with Frank Co-Peters, and he is the author of other books and um, meditation, and he's a Reiki master. And also, I just want to give some credit because, you know, Around a great person, they are always coupled with someone great, too. And we want to give a shout out to the one and only Kathy Melcher, because she's there to support her beloved through all walks of life on this journey. And it's very important. I know I feel so fortunate that, you know, my beautiful wife stands with me and by me and vice versa. And it's important. So but we're talking to Frank today about. His newest book, Unity and Everything That Is, Enlightened Warriorship Under the Guidance of 13 Masters. And you can go to the website, livinglightcenter.com, and uh, know more about him, his work, and his wife's work, and uh, they're incredible people. So put them on your list and get to know them, incorporate their work into your lives. Frank, I am just really having a wonderful time with you today. I feel like I'm just sitting with a a very dear friend that I've known for a very long time by the campfire. And I thank you for that feeling. Um, it, it means a lot. It's very special to me. Thank you. Thank you, Temple. I feel the same way. I really do. I looked yesterday a little bit at your uh, book on unity and I saw so many concepts, you know, that have been part of my journey all along or, or sometimes, you know, little by little. And I wanted to, maybe for the listeners, give an idea of who these 13 masters are. You know, when I wrote my book, I didn't want it to be just a spiritual memoir, even though I did put some stories in there, of course. But I wanted also to provide some teachings from people that I have been with, um, some of them very intimately, and then some who have passed away. And the first chapter of the teachers is Ramana Maharshi uh, that some of your listeners probably are familiar with and some not, but he was a great, great saint. He passed away in 1950, and I went to visit with Kathy. I'm so happy that you honored my life partner, Kathy. She will be happy about that. So we went there three times, Kathy and I, to the place where he spent most of his life in South India in Arunachala, And he was very much uh, a person who, he had a remarkable unity experience at the age of 15. And then after that, he really was in such a deep connection with the whole universe, really. And for years, he wouldn't talk. And then slowly, people became aware of him. And by the end of his life, there was thousands and thousands of people from all over the world. And this is before, of course, internet or or even before many people had a telephone but he's a wonderful saint uh of all the saints i would say i'm the closest to him um he is like a yeah i have no words really for ramana so i have a chapter on that and then of course a chapter on my shamanic teacher whom i already mentioned uh yoskasosh and then a chapter on reiki a chapter on gurdjieff that, again, some of you probably have never heard of, but many of you may have heard about the Enneagram. He was the one who brought the Enneagram uh, to the West. And there is a beautiful movie by Peter Brook uh, about him that I recommend. And then in the theater world, I was connected with a Polish shaman and a great theater avant-garde director, and his name is Jerzy Grotowski. I had the great honor to invite all the people that worked with him to the center I had in Belgium. And they are a remarkable, Jerzy passed away, but their work still continues. And it was a very experimental kind of work where they tried for the actor to have access to their bodies 
as a divine instrument. So whatever impulses they would feel as they were playing a character, they would allow their body to be the instrument to express that. And Jerzy, at some point, when he was so he probably was the most famous avant-garde theater director in the 1970s, at some point he had a kind of a religious conversion, you could say, uh, during a trip in India, and he decided to no longer make fashionable theater productions, but to just focus on giving people access to what he called the roots of theater, because he felt the roots of theater, just as the roots of shamanism, go way, way back to a time when people were still in touch with authenticity and also had their cosmic connections. So being with Jersey and his people, that was incredible. And then some of your uh, listeners uh, may have heard, I spent two years with Osho, also known as Rajneesh. That's actually where I met Kathy. And that was a, an unbelievable period for me. I was working uh, for the first year at the farm. It was very hard work, but I felt reconnected to the earth, to the vegetables. And Osho was a remarkable figure and a very controversial figure. But he developed some uh, meditations that really worked for me because, again, they included the body in the meditations. His most famous one, I think, is called the dynamic meditation, where there is a cathartic part to the meditation. And so I had no idea myself, even though most people thought of me as a very loving uh, even a person mostly in equanimity, but still there was a lot of emotions that I had never given voice to. And I did the dynamic meditation for about a year every day. And so in one phase, you just shout and scream and holler for about 10 minutes wildly. In the, and other people were doing this around you. You had a blindfold on and then at some point, I won't describe the whole meditation, but there is a stage of stillness. So after that incredible chaos of all these raw emotions, then the music changes because the whole meditation is with music and everybody freezes in whatever position you have ended up in. And in that freezing period, there is a stillness that came. So we were standing standstill for about 10 minutes. Maybe it was 15 minutes. And then after that, beautiful music came on, and then there was dancing. So just for that meditation, and there were other meditations, you know, but they were very instrumental in being able to live in the chaos of the outside world and still having access to a deep stillness. So that's one of my great gratitudes to Osho. Then Chogyam Trumpa um, was a, fantastic Tibetan teacher who came eventually to Boulder in Colorado where he started the Naropa Institute, which is now the Naropa University. And when I studied there, some of the famous people, uh, Ram Das was there, uh, Allen Ginsberg was there. It was a phenomenal place where interfaith discussions and dialogues were taking place and where everybody, every single student, every day was doing meditations. And I took a retreat in the Rockies. Um, it was quite cold with Chogram Trumpa. And he was just one of those amazing cosmic beings. And some of you probably have heard of Pema Children. She is one of his students. And she's, of course, continuing his work. So then, the chapter 8, Eckhart Tolle. I think there's few people right now who have not heard of Eckhart Tolle. So I spent, I think, four or five retreats with him, and they they were so beautiful. I resonate with uh, Eckhart in so many ways. Uh, he's funny, for one thing. He has a bit of an impish quality to him, and he keeps it very simple. And also, he he had his awakening, I think, in his late 20s, and really couldn't figure out what had happened to him, except 
that his mind had become much more quiet. And also, he recognized the truth as it is explained or, or written down in The Course in Miracles. So that was wonderful that Eckhart was able to bring The Course in Miracles to a wider audience, because that has been an important part of my, I could say, liberation or freedom, was doing very diligently for many, many years The Course in Miracles. And during The Course in Miracles, finally, there was a totally different connection I experienced with Jesus. So I was brought up as a Catholic, as most people in, in Belgium. But I must say the somberness of the churches, the dryness of the teachings. For some reason, I never met an inspired uh, Catholic priest until I was 16. When I was in France, I met a priest laborer, so a priest that goes into the community, the social communities to do good works. And so that was the first time I met somebody where I felt, where I felt this is authentic Christianity. And so then when, when the Course in Miracles came my way, there was a big healing around my early youth. Because, you know, my, my parents talked about Jesus, but there was not necessarily a close connection. So I'm grateful to the Course in Miracles, and I explained that in one chapter. And then Sri Aurobindo and Sweet Mother, I met their place in, I was at their place in India. They both passed away quite a while ago. Sri Aurobindo also in 1950, and the mother in 1973. But there is a wonderful place in India. It's called Auroville, and it's a place where people from all countries live together. There is about 2,500. It's a sort of utopian community with a lot of artists, uh, a lot of spiritual technology is being developed. Uh, they're also very down-to-earth, practical. They care for the environment. So it's a great example of a community that looks towards the future. And then finally, the two people that I... Um, write about. One is Mother Mira, and I had the, the great opportunity to be in her presence oh, for more than a hundred times and receive transmission from her. And then some of you have heard of Amma, the so-called hugging saint. My meeting with her was short, but it was very deep. And she is an amazing human being and does a great philanthropic work all over the world and mostly in India also. So that's a brief, a brief survey of um, the masters that I talk about. But a lot of my book is also about the inspired meditations that I have been receiving for more than 20 years now. And there's a whole story how that came into being. It's a synchronistic story. Once I had a meeting with a medium in London, and the medium told me she has no idea of what she's telling people, but that one day I would be receiving messages from a different dimension and that it would be my job to prepare myself for that. And I must say the, that uh, that meeting was so powerful for me, but also I, was, I had no idea how to go about it. So I started preparing when I was back in the, in the States and I, after I think maybe three, four years, messages started to come through. And this has been growing and growing. And I would like to read a few of the messages that are in my book. And since tomorrow is Thanksgiving, um, I'm going to look for a Thanksgiving guidance that came through. I think it was about seven years ago. And Thanksgiving has a special connotation for me, as it, as it has for many people. But I was in uh, New York with a grant when I was uh, 20, let's see, 28. And I had just arrived there, and I didn't know anybody. And Thanksgiving came along, and I was studying at NYU. And the professor there, Richard Schechner, he knew that I didn't have anywhere to go to. So he invited me on a Thanksgiving party that he was giving. And it was really... It was so touching for me, you know, all of a sudden I felt
I wasn't far away from home. I had found a new little home in Manhattan, you know. And so this is the meditation about gratitude that I received. Gratitude takes many forms. And each of them has a beauty of its own. There is the sudden seeing of everything you already have. There is the deep gratitude for what you already are. Gratitude for a forefeeling of what you are. For a sense or a taste of your true origin. Gratitude for the silence out of which everything arises, including you. Gratitude to the saints and sacred beings in and out of manifestation who remain committed to your inner development. Gratitude to the light that you are and always will be. Gratitude for your friends and family, biological and spiritual, for being there for you. For the spirit animals who love you so dearly. For the opportunity to partake in evolution and to propel it forward to a level of dignity. Gratitude for moving beyond the ego into the consciousness of oneness. What is born out of gratitude has a spark of divinity in it and carries you into infinity. This moment is filled with bliss because you are all of this. So really all the meditations that I have been receiving, all of them have this frequency of love in them. And their aim is to awake whoever, whoever wants to hear them to the truth of what you really are. And it never ever fails that these meditations seem to be to totally appropriate for the people that receive them or for something that's been happening on the news. It's, it's really a remarkable thing. So if I may, I would like to read maybe two more, uh, if there is time for that, Temple. Absolutely. We have like seven oh, more great. minutes. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. So later I gave a name to the meditations. They don't come through with a name. This one I named the mystics, the shamans, the poets, the meditators. Reality is one. And you have the freedom to experience it in many dimensions. The dimension of the heart is by far the most absolute as it transcends time and space. Sacred beings of light have taken a pledge to guide you into this most exquisite realm of the heart. They are here now in a very relaxed way and very simply be available to their presence, their input, their caring, their tremendous tenderness and their majesty. Since reality is one, please understand that your love is never separate from their compassion and their eagerness to be of service. Every year now, the veil between the dimensions is becoming thinner and thinner so that love can freely flow without any boundaries. Trust the reality 
of your experience. Never stop exploring. At the edges, happiness comes to meet you. The mystics, the shamans, the poets, the meditators have all received glimpses of the ultimate reality. You are standing on their shoulders and helping to open the portal for many others. And then maybe another one, which I have called, when the elders are failing the young ones. Your teachers are here and would love to awaken your inner teacher. Listen carefully. Freedom of thought, freedom of speech, and then your greatest freedom, the freedom to discover what you really are. See yourself surrounded by the snowy mountain peaks of the Himalayas. Suddenly, you are merging with Buddha consciousness, with Christ consciousness, with the consciousness of oneness, oneness with love, oneness with truth, oneness with the beauty and the sensitivity of the biosphere. Having experienced oneness, you want to protect and to safeguard. It is natural to protect what you fall in love with, to protect what you took for granted for so long. Democracy, mental sanity, ethical decency. Where are they now? Where is justice? Where is social empathy? Where is the art of listening, the art of statementship and stewardship? When the elders are failing the young ones, they in their turn are empowered to step forward with vision and clarity. Spiritual practice all across the globe is a place where great minds meet to receive insights based on love, peace, and justice. In the great open space of emptiness and effortlessness, the divine speaks to you. Trust what you receive. Keep discovering what you are and Appreciate what you are. Oh, maybe there's time for one more. I think it's important. Yes, please go. Great. The next one I called, Everyone Deserves Respect. There are many beings who have taken vows to always support you. They are very present to you when you are meditating. Meditating contributes to peace, to your inner peace and to peace in the world. Seemingly, no one can solve the problems in the world. And yet, and yet, your contribution is absolutely necessary and valuable. Your kindness, your love, your open heart, cannot be overestimated. Equally crucial is respect, deep respect and dignity for all beings is the highest priority. Everyone deserves respect. You do. The earth certainly does. The downtrodden do. The world as you know it now is but one choice among many. From deep respect, a new and much brighter world is able to arise. Intention 
always precedes creation. Meditation alone or together is new creation. Experience how millions of neurons and cells are making fresh connections. This is the power of true love. United in love, everything, literally everything, is possible. Never tolerate abuse of power. Stand united in the love that you know and experience as true. Beings of light and love are eternally grateful for your contribution as you pledge to respect this sacred earth you are awakening into a new reality so you've been given amazing examples of what it feels like when you hear something that comes directly from the heart Frank Co-Peters, thank you for being brave. Thank you for being out there. And thank you for sharing who you are. It has truly been a pleasure to have you with us today. And I look forward to the next time, whatever that might look oh, like. So do I, Temple, very thank much. you so much. And many blessings to you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Join me always at templehaze.com to keep up with all that's going on. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.